Welcome to episode 128 of The Better Show. Today we discuss the economic impacts of COVID-19 and how you can better understand and navigate it all. It is a show for people who want to get better by people who love getting better, and that's, that's us. When you start thinking about all the different ways that we can improve and we can get better and we can help the people around us get better, it's such a wide world. It covers almost every aspect of human experience and daily life. I'm pretty excited about building a community of like-minded people. Hello, everybody, and welcome to The Better Show. I'm Ian Mikatel. I'm Darren Austin. And I'm Mark Rogers. And today we are going to talk about the economy, guys, and how to think about it during kind of the crazy time of COVID and coronavirus, COVID-19. You know, interesting thing. We've been doing social distancing here on The Better Show now for two years in the way we record. It's true. (laughs) We figured this out. It can be done. We actually, Marsh looked at the data two and a half years ago and he said, guys, I'm, I'm projecting a possible pandemic outcome. Let's take the show remote. I'm moving to, I'm moving to another country now. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. All of that is not true. Um, uh, but what is true is Mr. Darren here on the show is, uh, I would say, it's fair to say you're kind of an economic wonk. Is that the uh, would a wonk be a, sure. that a good descriptor? I like, I like dig policy it. wonks. Yeah, like yeah. I, I read economic news and analysis and reports and stuff for fun. That's yeah. just like that's just something. Yeah, that that's a thing. Like that's Darren, thing every night he's like either Netflix or I could read this fourteen-page policy economic well, review. <laughs> <sighs> what do I do? Talking Actually, it's, you should look at my podcast list. It's like all like string of Planet Money, The Indicator, Econ Talk. It's all the good stuff. Well, oh, I, I know, because uh, Darren and I took a trip. This is a little <laughs> inside baseball. We took a trip to to uh, my first trip to Ireland to visit March, and uh, mm. I'm literally going to bed at night. And Darren's laying in the room next to me, and I hear an economic podcast playing in the dark, and he's falling asleep <laughs> to economics. And it's I was so, like, "It's oh, very true. Oh, this guy's serious. This is real. That's good stuff." <laughs> yeah. All right. So, what we're going to do today, uh, as you may have uh, start to get familiar with, if you're a listener of the show, in the last couple episodes, we are doing. Uh, another Q&A style. We're, we're digging this format. So March and I are going to kind of pepper Mr. Darren with some questions today about the economy and how to think about it. And so if you're kind of a person, I would say this is this episode for you is about, you know, maybe you're not super into the uh, economics of everything, but maybe you have mm. some money in a 401k or, you know, you're trying to think about retirement. How might all of this impact you? Or how to make sense of these headlines. These headlines are crazy. They're crazy. Yeah. 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 Uh, you know, maybe you're out of work right now, right? Like maybe you're on You had to just go mm. file for unemployment and, and you have a lot of time for podcasts. Like, thank God for that, I guess. But, you know, it kind of still stinks <laughs> that you don't have a job. So let's yeah. talk about that. Like, this is serious stuff. This is uh, impacting lots of people in real ways. And so we're going to cover a bunch of different areas, uh, try to make some sense of it, have a good discussion. But first, before we dive into that, that was your teaser, as they say mm. in the podcast world, alternate episodes. If you don't like this, uh, maybe you're already a master of of economics and you want to just kind of, you know, dig our COVID-19 playlist. Uh, we have a combination of both practical self-improvement tips uh, that you can practice at home, uh, as well as some documentary and book recommendations uh, that might keep you occupied while you are uh, losing your mind at home with mm-hmm. your kids and wife or husband or significant other in these social distancing times. Uh, so check out bettershow.io slash COVID, C-O-V-I-D, 
and that will take you to that playlist with lots of good related content. Uh, the other thing I want to get out of the way at the top of the show, as we always do, uh, you can call in to the show, uh, 1-971-333-8007, or email us, hi at bettershow.io, or hit us up on uh, Facebook or Twitter or you know Instagram, you know, slide in my DMs, as the kids say, at The Better Show, T-H-E-B-E-T-T-E-R-S-H-O-W, The Better Show, on the socials. And then March, there is a thing that you set up to, if you want to support the show and like leave a review and all that kind of thing. Do you have that link handy? Because it is a new thing we set I up. I do. Yeah, that's right. So uh, reviews are really helpful for us, both because it's feedback from our listeners, which we value highly, but also uh, positive reviews make it easier for other people to discover the podcast in their mm -hmm. podcast players. So in the past, you know, when we've asked people to do this, it's been a matter of like, well, go open your podcast app of choice and go and find our app and then go to its rating page. Yeah, it's and a rate bunch it, of which steps. Kind of a pain. Yeah. So uh, we have a cool little tool. So you can just go to bettershow.io forward slash rate. That's R-A-T-E. And uh, immediately you'll be taken to a page where you can click your uh, the icon of your podcast player and just leave a review right there. So it, it just shortens the whole process if you want to help us out. Yeah. And uh, I can't underscore much how much that actually helps us, as does always doing the thing we say, which is just tell a friend. So you can do that too. All right, with all that out of the way, alternate episodes, how to contact us, all that good stuff, we're going to skip personal experiences this week because we want to really dive into this Q&A and have a good discussion. So kind of kicking off the why it matters section, but really it's just going to kind of roll into this, this kind of Q&A style. Darren, I wanted to start with this question for you. Why, why is it important that we understand what's going on right now with the economy and the stock market for, for that matter? Yeah, I think I think the the way I look at this is it really boils down to mental health at a lot of levels is because we're seeing these headlines and and how to make sense of these things. Like we see that we've had the greatest drop in the stock market in the, the history of the stock market one day and then literally the next day we've got the largest increase in the stock market ever recorded. These huge fluctuations. So What's going on right now is we we're in this period of a huge and rapid change, and it's in response to this coronavirus, the whole COVID nineteen disease, and and the social distancing that's going on, and the adjustments that we're having to make in our daily lives. They're affecting millions of people. There, people are hmm. millions of people have lost their jobs. It's wiped out many people's retirement savings in in the economy, and so this kind of upheaval in your normal routine and the upheaval in your life, it kind of rocks your rocks you off your foundation a little bit. It creates this uncertainty and this anxiety. And all that uncertainty and anxiety, it has enormous effect on our well-being, our psychological health. So mm. I like to think that the reason that it's important to understand what's going on right now is it helps us put these developments and these news stories in perspective. So if you have some idea about how the economy is adjusting right now, it helps us avoid getting panicked over what's going on, or at least being able to process it without the level of uncertainty. So ultimately, we feel a little bit more confident about persisting through this time of uncertainty. And we also have the ability to not make rash decisions out of panic, right? That's the biggest problem is, you, you know, your panic can be more damaging than the actual situation that you're responding to. So what we want to do is we want to be able to understand at the macro picture what's happening. 
And we want to be able to digest that and make sure we understand what it means for ourselves so that we can make logical decisions and feel a little less anxiety. That's how I view this. I really like that. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense to me. What's what's weird, I, I kind of, I don't understand what, what's been going on with the financial markets, right? I, I hear about it on the news. I'm not really a finance guy, so I, I don't follow it too closely, but I do have a 401k. And, mm-hmm. and so I care about what's going on uh, in some general sense. And I know the basic rule of but, you know, when good things happen, leave it alone. When bad things happen, leave it alone. Right? Yeah. Like as, as, a, as a sort of retail investor, I know that I'm not supposed to freak out. Yeah. But isn't, isn't everything that we're seeing because the professionals are freaking out? Yeah. And I think that's, How should I think about that? That's a really good question. It's a really good point and really good question. So by and large, I, March, I think you're right. I think it's healthy to sort of ignore what happens on the day-to-day uh, moves of the, of the financial markets. Like if the Dow's down 2000 point, like it, yes, that, that sort of is, a, it's good to be aware of what's happening in the market, but obsessing over the daily fluctuations is probably not the most healthy thing that, uh, the average citizen can do. But the short answer mm. is the, the, the reason that we're seeing these wild swings in the stock market, they're, they're mostly driven by uncertainty and panic among the people that are making huge amounts of, uh, they're moving huge amounts of dollars in and out of assets to try to find where they'll be most secure. So this is why we'll see one day the market set a record high and and then the next day the market crashes in a record low. Um, people mm. are scrambling to convert those investments to cash because cash is a, is a safe and liquid form. You could do a lot with it. And then the next day the investors hear some different news and they res- respond to that. They're like, oh, maybe, Maybe we overreacted yesterday when we sold everything. Now we're going to buy a little bit back because uh, maybe, you know, maybe we, that is a safer place for us to be right now. So that's what's going on is this uncertainty and, and frankly, panic among the people that are responsible for securing huge amounts of money. And Mm. I would say also that that's typical, like it is typical that markets will tend to overreact to certain decisions, which is why I say it's generally speaking, not the, not the most healthy thing to pay attention to individual day fluctuations. What you want to look for are the macro trends. Like generally speaking, how's the economy doing? Are we generally growing? Are we generally shrinking? That is normally Mm. the way you should think about things. We're in a situation right now where we are at this weird just incredible amount of volatility. And because of what's happening in the economy in terms of social distancing and the contraction of, of commerce, we actually have a couple of other things to think about that are worth paying attention to. Mm, Okay. Yeah. You know, what I wanted to kind of follow up on that with is I have heard and read some good analysis on really the fact that this economic downturn is different than anything in the past for a couple interesting reasons have can mm-hmm. you kind of walk us through some of that darren and why is this different than any other recession in the past like if this turns into a recession yeah i think that's that's a good question because this is a different time so let's talk about what's normal what's normal would be an economy that sort of over the long periods of time goes through cycles and fluctuations so you go through a period of time where the economy's growing Companies are hiring jobs. People are out in the in the uh, in the marketplace buying more goods and services, and you see a growth. And you see that reflected in the gross domestic product, the GDP numbers that you hear people talk about. The GDP is rising. 
you know, in the U.S., we typically see about a 2% GDP rise over the course of a year or so. Um, mm-hmm. And then you go through cycles where the economy contracts, right? And that's a, that's um, a U.S. number, right? Just to be yeah. clear. It's a, yeah. it's a U.S. number. I'm pulling not that the off the top of my GDP. head. Yeah. Right. Not the global GDP. But I will say, like, the U.S. economy is is kind of the stalwart of the of the world economy so as the u.s goes a lot of times so goes the rest of the world there's ripple effects that happen but you go through these cycles so you go through the up cycle then you go through the down cycle down cycles are pretty typical they happen uh, uh, every so many years seven to ten years um and so that's what you normally see it's like okay great we're going through a growth cycle i know what that looks like we're kind of peaking we're going through a down cycle i understand what that means and in a normal situation, that you know, governments respond accordingly. They they act as a shock absorber to the, these sort of up and downs. What we're seeing today, and what we're seeing this in the last thirty days, is is quite a bit different. And what's different about it is that we've seen a because of the need for social distancing, because of the need to reduce the spread of this virus. Mm-hmm. Governments have had to take drastic measures to make sure people don't, are not interacting physically. So they're saying, okay, we want we everybody shelter in place in your house. So what does that mean? That means that that the demand in the marketplace that's normally there, people going out to restaurants, people going to retail stores, people buying cars, people buying homes, all of that stopped. And it didn't stop slowly over the course of a year like what might happen in a normal situation. It stopped in about a week. Overnight. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah. This was like jamming on the brakes and locking down the tires instead of just gradually coming to a slower speed. And so what's different about this is that means that you can't, as a government, as a governing body, you can't stimulate the demand. People have to stay separate. So what are you going to do? That's a problem. One thing on the, it's all happening at once kind of point overnight. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. in some analysis I was reading just, I think a really recent example in most people's minds of the last like big economic uncertain time was the 2008 ish, you know, mortgage crisis, right? That was a global mm-hmm. recession. The example that I heard in terms of the time frame of that was it was nearly two years between around April, 2007, when the first subprime lender filed for bankruptcy and February, 2009, when the stimulus package was actually passed. Like, look mm-hmm. at the difference between like Corona started happening, what, in like this late December in China, and yeah. we just packed, passed stimulus in the U.S. for $2.2 trillion in late March, like in a matter of months, you know, not years. Oh, I'll, you could even put a, a finer point on this to say that the U, from a U.S. perspective, they didn't really appreciate the size of the problem until about late February. And so mm-hmm. we went, it took 30 days to go, wait a second, I think we've got a problem. Oh my God, this problem is really bad. Oh my God, this problem is really, really bad. Now we got to do something. That that took like four weeks. I always need to say this because people listen to podcasts at random times. Like you may be listening to this in the year 2022 or something. Oh yeah, that's a good We're point. recording this on March 28th, 2020. So they have just passed a $2.2 trillion kind of a relief package in the United mm-hmm. States. And who knows what may happen in the future. But sorry, continue, Darren. So if, if yeah. you are listening to the future, if you could give us a call <laughs> and let us know how it turns out, we'd all really like to know. Any Mark would like to make tricks? a few investments. <laughs> That's right. There's a special email address that uh, it's it's called hi in the past oh, at the better show.io. I love it. We'd love to know. I want that. 
I want that. Like, uh, that's, I'm going to set an alert for when we receive that too. So, so you were saying the reasons that this is different. Yeah. 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 So you can't stimulate demand because people are sheltering. It's all happening at once instead of slowly over time. And the third thing is the effects of this whole slowdown are uneven. So what I mean by that is some industries have completely been wiped out. Think airlines, think cruise ships, travel companies, like they are done. They're at a standstill. Delta Airlines, I think, parked 600 of their 900 jets just in the last week. And they're parked, mm. they're, they're lined up on, on runways because they, they don't have enough places to put them. So it's affecting those industries significantly. On the other hand, there's other industries that are spiking. Medical companies, medical research companies, technology companies that are helping people stay connected remotely during this time. Those sorts of industries are getting more of a positive momentum. So the effects of this slowdown are very, very uneven. They're very pointed, which means those industries are going to need help. It's not their, it's not Delta Airlines' fault that the world had to come screeching to a halt. Uh, right. And frankly, what does a world look like where every single airline is out of business? That's not a world we want to live in. So mm-hmm. there's, we're going to have to do something to deal with those sorts of situations. Okay. Well, just as a shout out, I wanted to give credit. Uh, Nathan Bachez, uh writes the Divinations newsletter, um, and he's huge on Twitter. I, I really, really enjoy his content. I'm going to hopefully reach out to him and get uh, a short interview with him because he's writing and thinking a lot about this topic as well. But some of those points around why is this different were were from some of his writing. So I want to make sure I give him credit. We'll put a link in the show notes as well to that. Mm-hmm. But um, go yeah. ahead, Arch. Sorry. Yeah, as not a finance person, I, I read this sort of metaphor of how to think about what we're doing to the economy right now hmm. that was helpful for me, which is you need oxygen to stay alive, right? And so mm-hmm. you breathe in and you breathe out and you're always breathing in and breathing out. And the economy is sort of the same, right? There's money yeah. going in and going out. You're supply and demand. You're buying stuff. You're selling stuff. And so it's as if the entire world has inhaled and held its breath. Yeah. And the question is, how long can you hold your breath before you start losing brain cells until there's damage? <laughs> right. And then how quickly can you recover from that damage, right? If you hold your breath for 30 seconds, it's fine. You're, you're breathless for a little bit and then you're mm-hmm. fine. If you hold your breath for a minute and a half, you're going to feel really bad for a while. You're probably going to need to sit down. You're gonna, it's going to take time to recover. Right. You hold your breath for like 10 minutes... Now we're talking brain damage, and that's going to you know, either be irreversible or take a long time to uh, to recover from. Yep. If we think about what we're doing right now as like holding the economy's breath, mm-hmm. does that feel like a kind of a, a useful metaphor from your I do think it's a useful metaphor. I think that the, the interesting thing about the metaphor is I, I think you're right. I'm not sure if there are some economic damages that are irreversible, meaning... I think time mm. heals all wounds when it comes to economy. I mean, we've gone through Got some it. very, very terrible times in human history, and we we tend to come back over time. That said, I don't think anybody really knows whether we're in for, after the social distancing gets relaxed, is the economy going to come back immediately? Are we going to bounce right. back? Mm-hmm. I hear a lot of people saying that. I'm not so sure. I, you know, it could be that we're in for a little bit of a hangover. Do companies immediately hire back everybody that they had to lay off? I sort of don't think so. I think it's going to take a little bit of time for that to work itself out, but it's really anybody's guess. I think that is yeah. the million dollar question. Uh, and mm-hmm. we're veering a little bit off script for a second, but I, I really have thought a lot about this, which is, you know, no one, zero people, I'm pretty confident on the mm-hmm. face of the earth 
in December or let's say Thanksgiving, last Thanksgiving, mm. uh, late November, 0% of people on the earth were saying, you know what's going to cause a global recession? There's a pandemic that's about to happen, a global virus. N yeah, like it no just wasn't a thing, that. right? However, no we can't forget that the context before we got into this is really important for the economics. And the context was oh, yeah. we had been in the longest bull market globally in the history of like at least That's recent right. history, right? That's right. Uh, almost a 10-year full decade bull kind of bullish thing. So and we were due for like, a correction. So um, yeah. I'm, I'm always get these mixed up. What's Which one is bull and which one is bear? Bears oh, yeah. take your take your food from your camp, right? So they're <laughs> crappy and no one likes them. Bulls charge okay. at things and they and they also kill people, I guess. But that's not the point. Yeah, uh, bulls, I, I was thinking they're both scary things I don't want to part bulls of. Bulls are so. good. You, bulls are good. Bears are bad. Michael Jordan was on Got the it. bulls, okay. right? Michael Jordan <laughs> is Michael Jordan. So there you go. That's an easy one. Uh, yeah, the market's the going point, up in a right? bull market. The, yeah. the market was in for a eventual decline anyway. Anyway, it didn't a gradual, matter. Eventual if, decline, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But my point is that for for years now, people have been saying, "What is the thing? When is it going to happen?" Like, you can't sustain economics mm -hmm. with it going up all the time, right? Like, there is inherent ups and yeah, downs. Yeah, what goes up comes down for sure. And we haven't had the inherent up and down in almost a decade. It's just been up all the time, and that's yeah. obviously never sustainable. And so, so. It's yeah. interesting to just think about it in that context, but my whole point is why I'm bringing this up. I can't figure out if this is like the mortgage situation where there was a lot of bad underlying stuff going on. And so the mm -hmm. pain we felt from 2008 to 2000, whatever, 12 was yeah. justified, or is this completely unjustified in it? I don't mean that in a pejorative way, but like in the sense that this is a thing that if everybody just gets better in a few months. Does right. the market just resume where it was at, which is a crazy bull market? Yeah, I, I so this is mm. great. I, I have an opinion about this, but this the thing that you're posing is exactly correct. So it is actually a very good thing that we were in an economy that had been sort of at a peak, at a top when this happened. Right. Because if right. we had been in a in a trough, you know, if we'd have been in it a bear be market, way worse. Yeah, it would be way way worse. Now that said, mm. this is where I'm going to weigh in with some opinion. Because we were due for a correction and this thing came out of nowhere and hit us, I, this is potentially acting as that correction, potentially, even though it is not because of a fundamental problem with the economy. It was it's an external force. I am not so sure that we're going to bounce back immediately because I'm not so sure that the demand is there if we were already due for, you know, to use March's metaphor, the exhale. So, um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I, we'll see okay. what happens. We'll yeah. see what happens. Yeah. It's definitely a very good thing that we started off from a high point because it gives us a yeah. little bit of a buffer to come down. All right. Well, I understand why we're, why it's a different situation. Can't stimulate mm -hmm. demand if everything's happening overnight and it's not an even thing. But why does the stock market itself keep going up and down so crazy? Like, why why does that happen? Yeah, I mean, this is the this is gets back to kind of what I was you know, uh, mentioning before, I mean, the volatility of the of stock market anyway, reflects the uncertainty about the future. Everybody, when you buy a stock, you are betting that the future prospects for that company are, are good, meaning, okay, they're going to make more money over, uh, over the future and their stock is going to go up accordingly. That's basically what it's boiled, what it boils down to. Yeah. Yeah. So are they like, are people selling one stock and using it to buy another or are they selling a stock and turning it into like gold or 
Yeah. So so or cash. Yeah. In in general, people have a you know a history of overreacting to things. So like the good the, the example I like to use is like, do you remember when when we were all needing to shelter in place and social distancing? The first thing everybody did is run out and go get toilet paper. Like you mm. you didn't need four years worth of toilet paper. Like nobody needed four years worth of toilet paper, but that's yeah. what they went out. I mean, I already did. had, I already had the four years of toilet right. paper. <laughs> right. So From I didn't need another four crisis. years. Yeah. yeah. So basically what's happening is the people are going to cash. And what that means is, is they, mm, in times okay. of uncertainty, you want flexibility. You want the ability to buy things like food or medical care or pay your rent. And uncertainty is all about somebody's expectations about the future. Right. If you don't have confidence mm-hmm. about what your future looks like, whether that's your job or security, whether it's your health, whether it's your financial situation, then you want to be prepared for anything. Cash is the most flexible, flexible financial instrument that you can own. So because you can do anything with it. And so that means that in times of uncertainty, I want to move my investments into cash. I want to get that flexibility so that I can be prepared for whatever comes my way. Got it. Okay. So instead of having a share of like Boeing, you'd rather have a hundred dollars in your pocket to buy, I don't know, food or medication for your kids or something. That's a great example. Let's say that I've got a share of Boeing that's worth, let's just arguably say a hundred dollars and I have a hundred dollar bill in my pocket and I go to the pharmacy and I need medication for my kids and they say, okay, that's going to be whatever, a hundred dollars. If you hand them a stock certificate into Boeing, they're going to, they're going to look at you like you're crazy. Like, sorry, dude, I, I can't, right. that's not how this works. I need cash. And so that's a, that's a perfect example. Got it. But if it were, if it weren't an emergency, then you might want the Boeing stock because you don't need the hundred dollars and it's only going to get less valuable over time because of inflation where the Boeing stock might get more valuable. Exactly. Exactly. So okay. you can do a lot of things. I know. I'm not, I'm, I'm very rudimentary about this stuff. So I'm trying to yeah, yeah. make it very concrete. Okay. Cash is what investors call liquid. That means it flows. You can do things with it. Uh, whereas something like a, a share of Boeing stock is illiquid, meaning there's only one thing you can do with it. And that's sell it to somebody who wants a, one share of Boeing stock. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Right. Houses are illiquid because it takes a long time for you to convert those to cash. I have to put my house on the market. I have to get people in here. They have to buy it. There's high transaction costs. It's going to take me 45 days to close. That's something that's very difficult to convert into something else. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm putting a link in our chat behind the scenes for the guys to check out. But there was one tweet from the federal government that in the U.S. that freaked a lot of people out. It's a short little video. (laughs) Only one. I see made. And it basically is uh, instructing you to keep your money in the banks and don't put your money in mattresses and take all your money out of the banks. For anyone that's ever watched the movie, It's a Wonderful Life, we're talking about that scenario where everyone in the town takes all their money out of the banks and then the bank can't actually lend to anyone else because they rely on the community to put their shared pools of money in. And the the reason that it was uh, shocking to a lot of people is the fact that they made the video to tell people to do that was mm-hmm. to a lot of people an indicator that there was enough people thinking about this and indicating they were going to pull their money out that the federal government had to record a video and say, please don't do that. Yeah. And so yeah. like somebody said, if you want the nightmare scenario, the fact that the federal government is making Twitter videos saying, please don't take your money out of the banks and don't put it in a mattress is mm-hmm. all the evidence you need that this is going to be horrific. And yeah. so that, you know, you could take that any way you want. I'm not trying to put fear in anybody. I don't, you know, hopefully it doesn't happen. The question I want to get at to you, Darren, this is a little off script. 
no, t- you can also just uh, completely say, I don't know. I, I don't know if you've looked into this. Cryptocurrency. So Whoa. is that a safer thing right now uh, than putting it into a United States dollar or cash? Because you said cash wow. is the safest thing. A lot of people would say, no, gold's safer. No, um, cryptocurrency is safer. Do you have no, no, I'm not that? saying cash is safer. Let me be clear. I think cash is more liquid, meaning you can do more things with it. Let's say you go to that pharmacy to buy well, I think $100 that you were implying worth of- that. Sorry, I thought you it, were implying that liquidity is then safer. Yeah, you can do anything with it. You, a gold bar, you can't buy your kids' prescriptions with a piece of gold. You just, <laughs> you just can't do it. So cash is liquid, more being flexible. Flexibility is uh, is one dimension of safety. Uh, safety is a, is a loaded term. Sa- safety can also mean stability, right? Mm. Is cash stable? Not so much. Cash is, that is subject to inflation and deflation. Gold is also subject to the same value fluctuations, but, but there's a difference. There's a difference. Mm. So, so your, your question about cryptocurrency is really interesting. And I've actually thought about this a little bit, but I don't have, I don't have an answer that I'm confident in. And here's why cryptocurrency is, it is insulated, uh, insulated. It's a bad word. It's different than regular currency. Right. So if the dollar goes way down, cryptocurrency may or may not adjust. It may or may not fluctuate because you could do things with it, like spend it. But it also is wildly volatile. So I I don't view cryptocurrency as anything other than a complete gamble and speculation in the near term. I happen and to be I very should, bullish on it in the long term. I should term. say, I just good. for our listeners, that cryptocurrency, in case you're not familiar, in very simple terms, it's just a digital or virtual money. And right. it acts as ordinary money, like your dollars or your pounds or your euros, but it has no physical counterparts. So there's no banknote or coin that you can carry around with it. Um, right. And the, the most popular one of these is called Bitcoin. Uh, we've never talked about this on the show in detail, so I'm just giving a a, a quick little thing there in case you just heard mm-hmm. our discussion. You're like, I don't even know what they're talking about. Um, yeah. Anyway, it's it's sort should, of a new form yeah. of money that that people are exploring, and it has some really interesting long term potentials. In the near term, it's just so volatile because it's it's sort of the wild west out there. So I I I'm not going to ever recommend anybody jump into cryptocurrency other than if you want to if you want to learn, go buy one half of a bitcoin or something and play around with yeah. it like yeah yeah okay all right let's get back to our our q a here um another one I, I just want to get to since this just happened is i heard that the i mean many people are, are opening up their papers and learning this the u.s mm-hmm. government which is as we said uh one of the largest uh economic forces in the world uh, along with china they are stepping in to kind of help with this situation so what exactly are they doing yeah so let's talk about what the role of a government is right the market is out there operating. People are buying, people are selling, and you go through these fluctuations, long-term fluctuations. The government's job typically is to stabilize things. So if uh, the market is getting a little overheated, you'll see them start to raise interest rates to sort of cool it down a little bit. They act as that shock absorber. If the mm-hmm. economy's going down, they'll they'll tend to lower interest rates so that money is is cheaper. In other words, you can take a loan and start a business or whatever. They do things to stabilize or to shock absorb what's going on in the economy. In a situation like what we're in, this is a dire situation. This is an atypical situation. So their objective in a, in a, a circumstance like this is to counteract the panic that we talked about before. 
people running out and doing things based on panicked emotions, right? And irrational decisions. So whatever the, their, their goal is dampen the panic, like counteract the panic. So whatever the problem is, doesn't get any worse. Right? So the government is there kind of to stabilize. And another way to say that is the, that markets and people, human beings will tend to overreact. And the job of governments and regulators is to step in and calm everybody down. Right? So in this situation, they're going to have to do more than just counteract the panic. And the reason that they're doing that is because the fundamentals of the economy have, have ground to a halt for the three reasons that we talked about before, why this is different. You've got social distancing. That means I can't, you can't, none of us can go out to the restaurant and have a meal. None of us are going to the retail stores and buying clothes. So the flow of transactions, the flow of money between people is ground to a halt. And that's a, that's a real problem. That means that businesses then they're not, people aren't spending. So businesses tend to lay people off. Businesses tend mm-hmm. to close. What happens when people, what happens to the people that get laid off? They're not able to pay their rent. They're not able right. to buy food, et cetera. What happens to the people that were relying on that rent? It's a ripple effect throughout the economy. And so what happened this week is you saw the, the U S Congress, uh, the U S government passed a rescue bill I don't, I think, I think there's some debate about whether they should be calling it a bailout. It is not a bailout. It is a literal rescue, but they passed this rescue bill this week aimed at making sure that, that people and businesses have cash to continue maintaining some semblance of normal life and, or, or as close to normal as you can get, right? They did a massive, uh, unemployment benefit that said, look, we're going to extend unemployment benefits so that it's easy for everybody to continue having money to pay for their basic needs. But guess what? Normally unemployment will only pay you a fraction of what you're normally earning. And so the incentive is to go out there and get work, but we don't want you to go out and find work. We need you to stay in your home. So we're passing this bill that will actually pay you more money to stay at home than you otherwise would get working a job because we need you in this temporary time to stay put. Mm. So don't worry. That makes so much sense. That's why they did it. Yeah. Okay. You know, a couple things. Uh, One is I just, I I don't want to get too philosophical, but I think it is another differentiator, you know, where we were talking earlier about like, why is this different than previous recessions? I think Mm. most of the time, Darren, correct me if I'm wrong here, most of our economic troubles that happen from time to time in history are typically man-made. So, you know, think about the Mm. mortgage crisis, right? That was a bunch of human actors making bad decisions and they caused the problem. And so you can, if you are worried about the market, one of the reasons governments step in to like calm the fear is they kind of know behind the scenes, like, you know, this will pass, right? Yeah. Um, The thing that I think is different about this, and I've read some analysis is I think it's a lot more realistic to compare this situation, not to the 2008 economic issues with subprime mortgages, but to, for example, global warming or an asteroid hitting the Mm -hmm. earth or Mm -hmm. a tornado or a hurricane, except most of the disasters that we have in the world are typically very localized. So you have a hurricane hit Florida or you have an earthquake in California uh, Mm -hmm. or whatnot, right? It's very rare that the entire world, or let's say at least 10 countries uh, all over the world, are Mm -hmm. all having massive earthquakes at the same time, right? That just doesn't happen. Um, Global warming is probably the only one. However, the timescale of it is too slow for most people. Um, We talked about how this is overnight. So I've heard, like, for example, that they should be labeling that 2.2 trillion as simply disaster relief. And you were kind of yeah. speaking to that. Like, it's not a bailout. It's disaster relief. It and is disaster relief. Yeah. 
you know, I think, I think the, the only thing I wanted to, to kind of finish with with that thought, I'm just kind of pontificating. Sorry, guys. Is uh, no, this is, is good. I like this. Well, the thing about it though is, you know, so much of what you said, the government's job is is to stabilize things, and when the government's job is to stabilize things, it's because people have undue fear. And That's I'm not right. trying to be the guy that has fear, but like, I wonder when it is not man-made necessarily, it's man-shared, like we make it worse, mm. but we didn't start it we, necessarily. I think like, that's a good point. We can make a know, bad situation worse through panic behavior. I think that's yeah. the right way to think about it. But like, I guess what I'm trying to say is uh, I can understand why the markets and people will actually, I think, justifiably be wanting to be scared right now. Um, mm -hmm. because I, oh, I, like, we've never been normal. through something like this. It's at a scale and pace that's unprecedented. And it is very different than a normal natural disaster or a normal market recession. Yeah, I think that that's right. Typically you, what you want systems that work and let's, let's be honest, this, we have a, we have an economic system that generally works, right? But you want systems that work to work themselves out. Now mm -hmm. that doesn't, that doesn't mean that they're perfect. They're not perfect. So what you have to do is small adjustments and alignments to just make sure that things stay within a reasonable, you know, boundary. What we're, what we're dealing with now is it, it's, it's way out of whack. It, it just, because of not the system, the system didn't break the circumstances uh, broke the system. That's what happened. And so you it's it's so far out of whack that you've got to come in and take pretty dramatic action in order to bring things back to a sense of normal mm. yeah so there's this word that i keep hearing bouncing around and it's funny it's such a familiar word that it took me a little while to realize i don't really know what it means like <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I think i've probably used this word without really knowing what it means the word is recession and <laughs> the R word. Like we've had, I mean, the 2008 recession was this thing that, you know, it took multiple movies and documentaries to even explain what happened because great to recession. most people, yeah. it was, uh, it was some sort of dark, very unclear thing that happened in the financial markets. But I, when I think of recession, I think of like high unemployment rates. I think that's about the only thing that I can clearly think. And maybe mm -hmm. it's harder to get a loan. Yeah. Could, what what is a recession and and do we think that this recession if we're in one are we in one are we going to be in one I don't really mm -hmm. know how to think about it. Yeah, I think that's a great question. So, we talked a little bit before about how economies move in cycles. There's an up cycle, there's a down cycle. The down cycle is the recession. Now, what does that mean? That means that the overall production of an economy drops for some period of time, right? Let's break that down a little bit more. What do we mean by the overall production of an economy? Okay, it means every, all of us do things over the course of a day and a week and over the course of months and, and a quarter. Everything we do is contributing. It's additive. It's We are creating. We are building. We are doing things. That, if you add up all of the work and all of the creation, all of the value creation that we all create, that is the overall production of an economy. So when people mm -hmm. are doing more and growing, that's what we, that, that is a, a growth economy. When things are starting to contract and do less, that's when we talk about a recession. Now, economists identify, they had to come up with a definition for what a recession is. When do we know we're in a recession? What are the, what are the metrics that can tell us that we're in a recession? When that overall production, the gross domestic product, that, that's the term, when GDP goes down for two quarters in a row, meaning six months of sustained lower production than the previous quarter. That means, oh, mm. we're officially in a recession. So that means that the economy's compacting, 
businesses are doing less. That means, what does it mean by businesses doing less? That means restaurants are seating fewer people for dinner. That means people are traveling less frequently. That means retail stores are selling fewer goods. All of those things that normally happen, happen less. And so, again, if businesses are doing less, they're bringing in less revenue. They're bringing in less revenue. They can't afford to pay the same number of people. If they can't afford to pay the same people, they start to lay people off. So you see things in a recession, like what you said, higher unemployment, a recession, Mm. you know, you'll see a rise in unemployment. It's not a rise in unemployment. Like we saw this last week. That is incredibly atypical. That is historic, but we also see other things happen in a recession. We see the prices for, for goods tend to stay low. Why are they low? Because there's fewer people buying them. So there's not as much of a demand. So if you're a business selling t-shirts, you want your t-shirts to be the most attractive t-shirts because there's fewer people out there to buy them. So you keep your prices as low as you possibly can. What does it, what does it mean for investments? Well, if businesses are making less money then and people are buying stocks because they think the future is bright, the future looks a little less bright. So now investments like stocks tend to stay flat or sometimes they decline because businesses are reporting less income. So these are the kinds mm-hmm. of things that we, we talk about when we talk about a recession. Normally, those, those recessions occur gradually, and you can adjust for them. In this situation, we had a massive immediate effect, and it will almost certainly cause a recession. Actually, yeah, it will almost certainly cause a recession. That's yet to be determined, but we'll see how that is going to react. I was yeah, uh, okay. very interested on that point about a recession versus a depression. And so mm-hmm. I did a little digging. And, you know, there are some interesting kind of definitions out there just for folks to be aware of. So a recession, like Darren just said, is usually a decline that lasts for six months in the economy. A depression will typically last for several years. For example, a recession may last for 18 months, let's say, and a depression may like the last one we had, the Great Depression, it lasted for a decade, right? And then historically, mm-hmm. just at a numbers perspective, and this is all U.S. Uh, numbers, there's been 33 recessions since 1854, and there's only been one depression, the Great Depression in 1929. And it's interesting because it was actually a combination of the recession that lasted from about August 1929 to March 1933, and the one from May 1937 to June 1938. And if you're wondering mm-hmm. if, if you're in a depression or a recession, it's usually a recession because oh, yeah. you know, the odds are. However, there's one interesting point here. When you look into like what the definition of a depression is, it's unemployment that's 25%, housing prices dropping 30%, and and prices falling 10%. And so you could start to look at the unemployment numbers and that and that uh, what we talked about earlier and, you know, there's a chance that those numbers could get up to the 25% range. Um but uh, again, we don't know like it's all it's not like a like a temp- a permanent thing, we think. Right. That's what's mm-hmm. so unique about this. Like what happens when we all when the virus is eradicated, hopefully. Yeah. This gets back to mm-hmm. like the, the system didn't fail. The environment that the system was in caused it failed. Like, right, right. We're, we're supposed to be able to move around. We're supposed to be able to go out and go shopping. And all of a sudden, in the course of two weeks, we can't. Then yeah. the system that was built on the expectation of that is is now ground to a halt. So we'll, we'll see. It'll be interesting to see how this plays out. So I have parents that are close to retirement and mm-hmm. I think about them a lot and I and I have concern and I would love to know what does all of this mean for them? Yes. So hopefully this gets into some personal finance pieces and which is worth talking about. 
hopefully your parents or if you've got grandparents, hopefully they have their savings in a more secure investment. And what I mean by secure, it means less volatile. It's not jumping up and down all the time. Those are things like bonds, CDs, certificates of deposit, things that don't, that, that aren't, aren't traded on the stock market in radical ways. So in that case, the drop in the stock market would probably not have affected them at all. If they're, if they're needing their retirement money pretty soon, they're probably in pretty conservative investments, probably not going to affect them a lot. It didn't, mm-hmm. they, it, it didn't have zero effect, but it probably didn't affect them like it did everybody else. On the other hand, for people that had a substantial amount of their savings and stocks, they took a huge hit in this last month, the Mar- March of 2020. So their retirement mm. was likely set back several years. Now, if you are in your 20s, 30s, or 40s, probably not a big deal. You've got time to continue working. You've got a, a long history uh, or a long future of, of employment in front of you. You'll recover. And the reason I'd say that is you don't need that money in your savings yet to live on because you've got an income from a job. If you're in your 50s or 60s, you're starting to look at needing to have that money sooner. So mm-hmm. if you are in that situation and you had a lot of your money in stocks, hopefully you had less of it in stocks because as you get older, what you want to do is move more money from those volatile, risky investments into something that's less risky. So hopefully, if you're in your 50s or 60s, you were affected by this almost certainly, but you were less affected than maybe somebody in their 20s or 30s who was mostly or completely in stocks. But that's kind of what it means for different people at different age levels. Does that make sense? Hmm. Okay. Wow. All right. So lots of scary things we've talked about. Um, Everything from unemployment rates, the lack of certainty about what's happening, the volatility in the stock market, people maybe needing to come to terms with the fact that if they still have a job, if they're lucky enough to still have a job, that Mm. they may not be able to retire for years longer than they thought they were going to be able to. Mm. So like... Is there any bright spots? Is there any good news here? Yeah, yeah. There's there's some bright spots. I mean, overall, Ooh, it's it, we're dealing goodness. with a situation. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Imagine if Darren was just like, nope. Sorry. Oh, well, <laughs> I mean, you know, you, sometimes you have to search. Sometimes you got to search. But let's let's talk about a couple of things that are probably going to happen. Mortgage rates are most likely going to be dropping. So there's an opportunity if you are a homeowner, you can refinance to a lower rate. And, or if you're in the market for a home, you'll probably get a loan at a lower rate. That's a good thing. Oh, can um, I, can I actually jump in there real quick? I'm, I'm uh, searching for a house right now. Um, mm-hmm. and the mortgage rates have skyrocketed because of all you people that already yes. own a home are refinancing. So here's my call out. If you listen to the podcast, stop it. I'm trying <laughs> to buy a house and it's, you're ruining my opportunities. And I would really appreciate it if you just like hold off on the refi stuff. For a little while. Thank you. So that's just so a Ian, you're, you're gonna be you're gonna be unhappy with me because I'm in the middle of a refinance right now. Oh, for Christ's sake. <laughs> but you know what Kill though? Me. I, Actually, I wish well, I had uh, waited. T- tell I me wish why. I had what, waited. Just as a diversion, like why why are people refinancing? So what happened was when when the markets go when the markets tank the way they did, the first thing that happened was the 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 Fed, the Federal Reserve, who controls interest rates, they said, Oh mm-hmm. my gosh. We are in a big problem. We need to make sure that there's plenty of money available at a cheap price. So if people, if businesses need loans to stay afloat, whatever, we're going to make sure that the rates are really low. So they drop the interest rates. Immediately, everybody who had a loan, like a mortgage, like mine, said, oh my gosh, I wonder what a 30-year fixed mortgage is on my oh, home now. Oh, right. Okay. And, and I had 
3.6 is was my rate, 3.6% uh, interest rate on a 30-year fixed. And I had 23 years left in it. And I said, huh, I want to refinance, but I want to refinance to a 15-year. What a 15-year loans are even lower. So I mm. looked at it really quick, and it turns out I could have gotten a 15-year fixed rate at like 2.5%. 2.5% interest is like almost free money. So I quickly tried to do it just like everybody else did. This was like a run on toilet paper. Uh, there was <laughs> chaos in the aisle. And all of a sudden, somebody who had a bunch of toilet paper said, okay, it's no longer 2.5%. It's 2.8%. The price started going up right. because of heavy demand. I see. So that's what happened. Okay. That's what happened. Got it. Yeah. Okay. It, so I'm literally following these 30-year mortgage rates on a daily basis because I'm I'm mm -hmm. in the process of, of this, you know, buying a, a home for a while. And... Just to give you a sense, like how crazy it went, Nerd Wallet, which we'll put a link to in the show notes, does an amazing oh, yeah. job of tracking this on a daily a basis, and they have a nice they have a nice historical graph. And what happened was, you know, we were at a certain rate, you know, let's say around like four percent or something, three four percent, and then it completely cratered in like early March, uh, and then it shot back up to over four percent, um, yeah, just because of all the people refinancing their existing homes. And so mm. there basically becomes a backlog at all the banks to process this stuff. And then they boost their rates up because they, they just have a lot of business. They don't need so, to keep the rates low. Interesting side note. So there was something else that happened too, because the, the rates did go up, but the banks actually went online and artificially inflated the rates they were showing people on the internet because they wanted to slow down the demand. So they were like, even though they were giving rates at, let's say 3.6%, they were putting 4.2% on their website so that people would just stop and, and stop like mm. applying for mortgages. So that was an interesting yeah. thing that happened. So, okay. So I will say if, if the only bright spot is mortgage rates going down, but they're not actually going down because there's this frenzy of refinancing. Is that, is that what I got to hold on to as, nah, as the bright spot? Here? I think what you're going to see across. So it, this is just like anything else. Um, when demand for something goes down, prices tend to go down too. So the other bright spot mm. that's going on right now is oil. So oil prices are at near historic lows. I don't know if anybody's tried to fill up a tank lately, but if you have, you have seen globally that the price for gasoline is incredibly cheap. Like as cheap as it's been since like the 1980s, since it was this cheap. Mm. Um, so now what does that mean? Well, what is gasoline? Gasoline is energy. Energy now overall is cheaper. So that includes lower gas prices, but it also means that businesses that rely on energy, uh, independent truck drivers, maybe like the food industry, the, those things are all going to though all go down as well. If you are delivering, let's say, groceries across the country and the gasoline price is lower, so the truck drivers are less expensive to get from point A to point B, your groceries go down. So hmm. there's going to be, I, I, we'll see, we'll see, but we should expect to see if oil prices stay low, we should expect to see prices in general start to decline, which is nice. It's nice for consumers. It's harder for businesses. So there's a there's always a seesaw effect when you talk about these finance things. Mm -hmm. okay. Got it. Yeah. All right. Okay. Well, we only have about five or so minutes left, so I want to start wrapping up our discussion. Um, we've covered yeah. a lot of a lot of ground today. So Darren, thank you. This has been really helpful. Um, mm. I'd like to do a little bit of a lightning round to wrap up uh, with some kind of quick hits. So try to keep your your answer's brief for the for the listeners, Darren. That's always tough for me. I'm sorry. I know. We're gonna we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna try it out. Let's see how how well Darren does in the lightning round. 
Darren, think fast. I just lost 30% of my savings. Now what? Ah, depends on what your situation is. If in a down market, the fundamentals of personal finance don't change. Your goal is to spend less money than you bring in and put the difference to work through some form of investment. That's your goal. Okay. Don't obsess about where your portfolio is. Uh, if you lost 30%, you can't bring it back. All you can do is, is learn from it. So if you're, depending on your situation, you want to maybe invest some more, rebalance your portfolio. Maybe you want to put a little bit more in cash savings. Mm. Okay. March? Yeah. Okay. So are, are like, is there anything that we could do to take advantage of the situation? And I don't mean that in terms of take advantage of other people. I just mean like, what's the smartest thing to do, especially if, you know, we're trying to rebuild our savings because some of it has just been wiped out or for people who are unemployed, they're yeah. spending, hopefully they have savings and they're spending those savings now. Yeah. Typically your savings is going to be mixed into a bunch of different kinds of investments. You'll have some stocks, some bonds, some real estate, a blend. When the market corrects or your changes up or down, some of those assets get better. They go up in value. Some of them go down. So things will even out. One of the things you can do is what they call rebalancing your portfolio. So when you rebalance your portfolio, you take a look at that asset allocation. How much do I have in stocks? How much do I have in bonds? How much do I have in these other things? And you correct it because when the, when the market adjusted, all of a sudden your percentage of stocks went down because the value of those stocks went down. So you can rebalance mm. and that gives you an opportunity to buy when the stock market is low and sell when sell maybe some of your bonds when the bonds went up. So you can balance and, and get, get some value, get some basically like buying products when they're on sale. Hmm. I like that. They're at a yeah. sharp discount. Um, mm -hmm. Okay. Here's another one. Sh should I really care about this? What do you say to someone that just says, you know, the market's always rebound in the long term anyway. So shouldn't I just stay the course? That's actually a good question. So staying the course is actually a really logical approach. But what does that mean? Staying the course means I'm going to do the same thing that I've always done, right? Which means I reg let's just, I'm going to assume for a minute, I regularly put some money back into savings. Well, when you regularly put money back into savings, that means you're buying a few stocks, you're buying a few bonds, you're buying some, a few of these other assets. Well, guess what? When the stock market went down, now a dollar buys more of the stock than it used to. And so by doing nothing and staying the course, meaning continuing to do what you always do, you're effectively rebalancing. So it's a logical approach. It's just, it's going to sort of happen automatically. Hmm. And so I've, I've, this is something I always uh, find myself preoccupied by. How much emergency cash should I have on hand? Like ideally, if someone, if someone, this is a question that I'm sure would have been better to ask six months ago, but if, <laughs> if people knew something like this was coming and if you listen to Bill Gates, this is not going to be the last one of these that right. happens. What, like, how would we weather it and how much money should you have? And should it be liquid or can it be in, in other investments? Yeah, I think that's a good question. So the general rule of thumb is you'd like to have six months worth of expenses available as cash, liquid meaning, in the case of an emergency. So why is six mm. months the rule of thumb? Because by the way, everybody's circumstances are unique, you, depending on what your expense situation is, what your job stability is, you may want to have more or less of that. But six months is the standard. And they pick six months because a significant crisis, even like what we're in, typically doesn't persist for years and years and years. It's very rare that we have a depression. This also assumes, though, that there are some safety nets in place like unemployment insurance. So if you do lose your job, you've got six months worth of expenses available to help you continue operating life normally. But you've also got unemployment insurance, which extends that six-month uh, runway that you've got. You also maybe has disaster insurance if you were the victim of an earthquake or a flood or whatever. So 
the combination of the safety net plus the money you have on hand should give you a nice a nice runway. Got it. Okay. Great. Yeah. Well, uh, let's wrap up. I wanted to first say thanks to Darren um, for kind of doing the the wonkiness. I don't think that's the right, but <laughs> I, you, you I are the geek wonk. Out on so this. I geek for geeking out, out and for helping us uh, get better informed. Because the thing I always tell people is, in my opinion, being more informed, the goal of it isn't so that you can worry less. It's so that you can worry the appropriate amount. Right. Um, we're not exactly trying to right. eliminate any concerns here. There are legitimate concerns in the situation right now, but you need to be informed to have to eliminate needless worry. Right. I think that's a, that's important. What I took away from this was just I, I, I feel more informed at the out, uh, at the end of this hour than I did going mm-hmm. in. And I hope that, you know, everyone listening that does, too. Darren, I, last thing I'd, I'd ask, not to put you on the spot, but since you yeah. are geeking out on this, if people are interested in this kind of stuff, want to go further into it, what are maybe like what's one podcast and what's one website that, you know, they should go to and we can put links in the show notes. Yeah, I I, I can't say enough great things about NPR Marketplace. So the Marketplace uh, Daily Money Report, the Marketplace podcast with Kai Rizdal is fantastic. He puts a perspective on what's happening in the economy on a daily basis, but also takes a step back and looks at the long term. I will also in the show notes put a number of different resources, both uh, newsletters as well as podcasts that I think are really interesting for people that want to go deeper in this. The subject is as deep as you want to go. So definitely, uh, definitely we'll provide some resources there. Okay, great. Well, thank you again. Uh, if you want to reach out to the show, as I said at the top, the social media stuff is The Better Show, at The Better Show. Email is hi at bettershow.io. And you can even call us uh, if you want to talk to March from the future. He'd really appreciate it. Uh, the number is one nine seven one three 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 eight zero zero seven. You can leave a voicemail there um, and uh, tell us how to, how to get through this. And then uh, links in the show notes, of course. And to kind of finish, what's the better next step, Darren? What's the one thing people should, after they hit stop on this and take off their headphones, go do? Mm -hmm. I think, look, the better next step for me is take a deep breath, understand that this too shall pass. Let's absorb what's happening right now, understand it, and make our decisions based on some logical approaches on our individual circumstances. That's what I would say the next step is. Awesome. All right. Thanks so much uh, for The Better Show. I am Ian Mikatel. I'm Darren Austin. And I'm Mark Rogers. We'll see you next week. Stay healthy. Thanks again for listening to The Better Show. Three quick notes before we go. Number one, we really hope what you heard today can help you on your journey to getting better. And if it did, it'd mean the world to us if you could head on over to iTunes or wherever you found the show and leave a review. This is one of the best ways to help grow the show and ultimately the community that we're trying to build together. Number two, for links to anything you heard in today's episode, just head on over to bettershow.io. While you're there, sign up for our Better Show newsletter, where each week we send a summary of the latest tips, tricks, and hacks, and cool articles that we've come across in our journey to getting better. And finally, number three, join the conversation and let us know how you're getting better. On Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, just search The Better Show. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next episode.